From DeCamilla Capital Management in Sacramento, California, this is What's Cooking on Wall Street with your hosts, Dave DeCamilla and Ty Rickman. All right, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. This is Ty Rickman here again with uh, Dave DeCamilla. Dave, how are you today? I'm terrific. But I want to go back to um, the day before Christmas, and we had a horrific market sell-off Christmas Eve day. And many people want to know, what do you do to avoid that? How do you diversify away from it? And um, that's our talk today is about diversification. Right. And actually, most people will be surprised to realize that the key to diversifying away the risk is? You can't really diversify away the risk. <laughs> it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. You can hold some cash, but basically there's two types of risk. There's a fundamental risk, the risk that a specific enterprise or company or stock or mutual fund or other can vanish. That's fundamental and specific to particular investment. Or there's systemic risk, which is volatility. And you really can't diversify away from that, except for maybe holding some cash if you hold cash. And if you're a long-term investor, cash really doesn't work in the long term. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense to think you can find an investment that's going to eliminate volatility. Nevertheless, and I've said this a long time, that diversification is the last or the first, depending on where you want to believe. But the last refuge is scoundrels. And it's used on Wall Street to sell investments under the guise of, oh, you need this for diversification. In reality, no amount of diversification can eliminate fundamental understanding, focus, diligence. If you don't know what you're doing, diversification is not going to help. So we here tend to look at diversification as an important concept, but it's all in the execution and really portfolio construction, in our view, and we've talked about it, Ty, is more of an art than a science. Right. And that's definitely true. And to your point, you know, you see all these commercials from these large brokerage houses, investment companies. You see their names on buildings. You see their advertisement at ballparks, uh, football stadiums. That's all getting paid for by products. And the way they move these products is to convince their clients they need these products in order to be fully, quote-unquote, diversified. Exactly. So they're not doing it out of the goodness of their heart. There's definitely a motive there. That's right. And new and improved, just like in consumer products and Wall Street, it helps. So you've had this uh, explosion of ETFs, mutual funds, indexes, all designed to address a specific area of investment. So the presumption is it diversifies you. Dilute is probably a better word. Your focus in you find that you're kind of nowhere. You know, you don't really have enough of anything. For example, oftentimes it said, oh, you need foreign investments. Well, the truth be known, the S&P 500 gets 40 to 45% of its earnings and revenue from overseas. So the notion that you need, quote, emerging markets. Well, guess what? Unilever, Procter & Gamble, General Motors, uh, Abbott Laboratories. Starbucks. Starbucks. They're already there, and you can just own the domestic company and have all the exposure you need to those places without any of the risk. The headaches of currencies, political upheaval, and just bad accounting practices in a lot of these markets. So that's one canard that, you know, global markets, everything is connected. 08 proved that, and um, you can't really, again, it's, it's systemic risk. And how you guard against it is, through very good fundamental analysis and bottom-up investment selection. 
Well, well, you know, and Wall Street gets paid to have you change your mind. So if you don't own something, it's proffered that one needs it for diversification. And in truth, a portfolio consists of three types of assets an equity investment, a fixed income investment in cash, which is really not an investment, it's a holding area. Well, in our regime here, our clients have long-term horizons. No liability in the long-term goes down. They all go up. Costs of food, clothing, shelter, insurance, home maintenance, vacations, entertainment, uh, medical care, you name it, everything goes up in the long run. Right, we've discussed that in other podcasts as well about how the cost of nothing stays the same. Exactly. So why would you get into a fixed return, say a U.S. Treasury bond, that's paying you 2% a year when your living expenses, costs, and also inflation factors into that as well. Your the, the, the return on that 2% isn't really 2%. Right. And it's sold or advocated on the basis of, well, it's a diversifier. Well, I, I differ. Uh, if it isn't going to perform... What difference does it make? You could say the same thing about Confederate Army uniforms or chinchilla futures. You need them for diversification. Well, are they going to work or are they not? That's the fundamental issue. So we spend a lot of time on finding, if you will, uh, the dogs that will hunt. And we don't want the ones that won't. We want the faster rabbits and the slower rabbits. Right, and the fast rabbits being companies that have growth opportunities that are looking to grow their business and the the slow rabbits, we would qualify those as being dividend-paying Yeah, income. And you can use a mix of both. In a portfolio, you'd have what we call total return companies, which tend to be slower growers and pay dividends. Established growth companies like Starbucks and Disney and, and companies of that nature, Abbott Laboratories, that consistently show high returns of equity and unit sales growth over a long period of time. And then finally, just core equities that we kind of own through thick or thin, that would be companies like, for example, Verizon, Procter & Gamble, that show moderate dividend growth and moderate sales growth, but they're really kind of bedrock companies for the economy. Right. So it's important to clarify, I think, that when we talk about diversification being the last refuge of scoundrels, as you put it, we're talking about diversification of different asset classes. Right. We're not talking about diversification within the equities that right. make up your portfolio. Exactly. And, there, and as I said, there's only three asset classes. And according to Wall Street, all alternative investments is an asset class. Uh, emerging markets, indexes, hedge funds. It defies limit as to what you can call an asset class. And in reality, there's only three. Right. And another point of clarification I think it's important to make is that you know a lot of people don't understand what a mutual fund is. And a fund. It's an amalgamation of stocks. It's, yeah, exactly. So I hear people say, well, I don't want to be fully in stocks. I want the safety of mutual funds. Well, mutual funds, for the most part, are made up of stocks. Right. So it's really just repackaging these three basic asset classes that you discussed, fixed income, equity, cash. Combine that's them a, in a way, and that's that's what you it's have. It's another distri- manner of distribution, and, and I think investors can confuse types of distribution with real fundamental assets. Mm-hmm. And is it, a, is it just a method of distributing uh, an equity to you or is it a real diversifier? And in most cases, these are just products. It's kind of like a TV dinner or pre-made, pre-packaged, and it really doesn't speak a lot to how you as an individual investor or us as a portfolio manager are going to go down the road with our clients. It's kind of a one-size-fits-all off-the-rack type of process, which can work. I mean, it, it, it does work at certain levels and, and all that, but you're right. It's a product 
it's not an asset class. Right, exactly. And to go back to your original point, given that a fund that is made up of equities has the same underlying assets as a, a portfolio made up completely of you know transparent equities, the you can't diversify away the risk by having it in you one know. versus the other. They're they're the same thing, just with uh, you know with different names. That's exactly right. And you know, a good point. Speaking to that is that in tough markets, like again, or we'll refer to Christmas. When everybody's calling a fund manager, he's got to, you know, sell stocks when he might want to be buying them. They're cheap. And uh, he's a bus driver and he has to, you know, he's at the beck and call of the people that are on the bus and need to get off. Uh, On the other hand, if you you are driving your own vehicle or you have your own chauffeur, you you dictate the point and dictate the destination. And you don't have to get off when you don't want to. And the problem with a lot of these indexes and funds is they, they have to sell when they want to be buying, when prices get low or there's a, a break. Conversely, they get a lot of money when prices are high and they feel compelled to put it to work. So it's very hard to tailor anything with what's called a, quote, a product or in masquerading as an asset class. To that point, one last thing. on You hear a lot about, quote, single stock risk. Well, in portfolio management, it's rare that we'll have at one position more than 3 to 5% of any portfolio. So on a half a million dollar portfolio, 3% weighting would be 15,000. Maybe 5% would be 25, but that's generally where it's constrained. If a position gets more than that, we tend to cut it back. Well, the polar vortex hit. <laughs> and so how do you diversify away from the polar vortex? It just so happens that our research department here at Decamilla Capital came up with a perfect winter antidote for uh, cold weather. They just shot it to us via the pneumatic tube that goes from the the basement up here (laughs) to the the 30th floor. So we were going to do Asso Buco, which is veal shanks, but they're too expensive. So kind of as value guys, we feel we're going to do a chicken thigh recipe with polenta. It's a great Italian kind of go-to dish in the cold weather. So all you need is six to eight chicken thighs, uh, some polenta, and a can of crushed tomatoes, and you're pretty much going to be ready to go, and some white wine. So let me tell you what you have to do. First, you get your six to eight chicken thighs with skin on. You brown them in a saute pan or a Dutch oven. You remove them, get rid of the excess fat, and then you put in your mirepoix, your onion, celery, and carrot, minced real fine. Put that in Deglaze the pan with some white wine, some garlic, some Italian seasonings, and some rosemary. And get all the, what they call the fawn, it's at the bottom of the pan when the chicken thighs brown. What, what Italian spices would you use? Italian, mixed Italian spices and McCormick's. And once a you, diverse. A diverse, a diverse. <laughs> Amalgamation of, of spices. of yes. Italian spices. And salt and pepper, of course. And then once you do that, deglaze, you add your wine, you know, you deglaze it with wine. And I tend to open up a bottle of white wine. And half of it will go into this dish. And the other half miraculously disappears somehow. I don't know how. But you deglaze your pan, add your can of crushed tomatoes, put your chicken thighs back in it, either cook it on the stove covered or in an oven covered for 45 minutes. While it's cooking, you get your polenta going for the directions. And uh, you turn your oven off. You bring your your dish out, it's hot, and then you plate it up. You put your polenta in a plate, put a little well in it, put the chicken thighs. It's made a nice sauce with the tomatoes and the white wine and oregano, and you garnish it with some chopped parsley, and you got dinner on a cold polar vortex afternoon. Good thing to do when you're stuck inside. Right. All right. Well, thanks, Dave. Good advice, as always, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Dave.